Welcome to the Learning Experience Show brought to you by eLearning Brothers. I'm your host, John Toda, and this episode is an editor's cut, where we trim the full-length webinar down to just the main topics and most important takeaways. That way you get most of the webinar value in just about 15 minutes, and you can listen on the go. You can always check out the rundown summary on this webinar session as well, and the episode notes will always link you right to the full video webinar on YouTube. All right, let's get into it. Today we're going to be talking about how to design for skill transfer. This is going to be a great session. We've got Monica Newell, one of our wonderful instructional designers. Well, hello. I've been writing and designing curriculum for over 12 years and have always been focused on the connection between learner engagement and knowledge retention. I found that web-based training offers some great opportunities to explore engagement through a focus on relevance, with the ultimate goal of having learners be able to transfer that information to skills they received in the course and then transfer it to information they can use on the job and apply what they've learned in a way that improves their performance. We consider this goal skill transfer. And we might think of it as the cognitive equivalent of spinning multiple plates at once. In the workplace, situations are complicated by environment, uh, people, nuance. And so the employee has to be aware of all of these things and take into account what was learned in the course to effectively perform a task or make a complex decision. So this is what makes skill transfer so tricky. And it's also why many disagree when people try to simplify learning into a simple hierarchy. But for the sake of today's discussion, I think it might be helpful to start here when thinking about knowledge acquisition. So Akoff created this hierarchy in which he believed on average about 40% of the human mind consists of data, 30% information, 20% knowledge, 10% understanding, and virtually no wisdom. He didn't put a lot of faith in wisdom. So um, in any case, he saw data as the product of observations in which he considered useless until it was processed into a usable form to become information. Knowledge would further refine the information by transforming it into instructions. And then Akoff considered understanding to be an ability to assess and correct errors, while wisdom was an ability to see the long-term consequences and evaluate them. Ultimately, understanding ended up being left out by those who adopted this model, probably because it's so similar to wisdom, and thus it became known as the Data Information Knowledge Wisdom Hierarchy, or the DIKW Hierarchy. Um, if we consider training in the context of that hierarchy, we can see ideally that combining information and knowledge should lead to a learner's ability to assess and evaluate with autonomy. But this is where our pyramid gets a little messy. So as David Weinberger points out in his article, Knowledge is not merely a result of filtering or algorithms. It results from a far more complex process that is uh, social, goal-driven, contextual, and culturally bound. Essentially, he makes the point that 
the important distinction, honestly, from Akoff, that acquiring knowledge is a messy process that requires motivation and contextual relevance to be successful. Okay, so if we take Akoff's hierarchy and we add a frame of reference, and we acknowledge the social, cultural, personal, and contextual factors, now we're just seeing how messy it is to transfer knowledge when there are so many factors that affect the process. Where do we turn, essentially, in an effort to create effective, relevant e-learning? I think we embrace the importance of context. We're gonna be looking at how context promotes transfer, resulting in a more effective e-learning that trains employees to be more capable and confident about applying their skills in the workplace. The theory of identical elements asserts that transfer occurs when the skills being taught are identical to those needed on the job and placed within that context. So in this case, the training environment and workplace are very similar, so it's easier for learners to apply what they learned. This concept is also referred to as near transfer. Given the limitations of e-learning, many skills can't be taught as they would in the field, but soft skills and client interactions lend themselves fairly well to this. In this training, employees were presented with a client and given a series of possible responses through their conversation. Selecting the best responses increased their proficiency score and let them move on to the next client to experience a different conversation. Uh, the goal was to provide the learner with interactions similar to what they might experience at work and help them practice responding appropriately. So the course was managed through a custom menu and it showed their progress, which is a good way to build motivation. So we talked previously about um, not only relevance, but also motivation. Um, when possible, it's helpful to show learners what they have accomplished to motivate them. Of course, there's gonna be a lot of skills that don't translate well to e-learning, but by focusing on the most important and relevant information that needs to be taught for a skill, it's possible to prepare the learner to apply their knowledge in a different environment. This is known as FAR transfer, and it relies on the ability of the learner to make connections uh, between their e-learning and the workplace experiences, which might be a little different. To support learners, um, instructional designers should identify what information is needed to teach the skills, think about various applications, and then provide the learner with multiple work-related activities that require the learner to make connections through transfer. They don't have to be identical. In fact, they should be somewhat varied so that you're forcing the learner to make those connections and then make decisions based on what they're experiencing since they have to decide what they should apply and how. And then definitely build to more nuanced applications. So maybe an expensive bottle of wine is clearly inappropriate on paper, but what about when you're with a client and the client mentions that it's his favorite? Focusing on some real world applications will help learners practice making those connections on their own. The last theory of transfer we're going to talk about today is the cognitive theory of transfer. This one hinges on a learner's ability to recall what they learned. It promotes the importance of making material meaningful and memorable. Uh, that may involve acronyms or activities that encourage the learner to engage with material in a way that is memorable. 
When I think about how to make material meaningful, I immediately think about the power of pairing words with relevant imagery. I already inundated you with a lot of theory, so I won't dive into the multimedia principle, but I would like to share some observations by Ruth Clark and Richard Mayer. Um, they're the authors of e-learning and the science of instruction, which has been a super helpful reference. They are adamant that instructional designers should consider how words and pictures work together to create meaning for the learner. Because when learners mentally connect words and pictures, they're engaged in meaningful learning that is more likely to support understanding as measured by transfer tests. Which makes a lot of sense because we know that the more neural connections that are made, the more likely we are to remember something. So using relevant media is a great way to accomplish this. Additionally, I would wanna look for ways to help the learner strengthen those connections. So while it's helpful to display an image of a particular setting while providing information about that setting, I can strengthen that connection by having the learner turn the dial on the image to see information for each setting. And make the connection between the setting and its meaning more memorable because the dial has to be turned to make that selection and the information pops up that's associated with it. Again, neural connections. More all about them. So although all we've really done is add a dial to an interaction, we're helping the learner build those connections by reinforcing the text with a graphic representation and the act of turning the dial as you would on the actual device. Then we try to reinforce those connections by presenting a potential application for the learner to recall in the field. Okay, so at this point, I can feel my instructional designers and developers wondering how they're supposed to take all of these factors into account and still meet a deadline. So let's spend some time talking about how we can design for transfer or design with transfer in mind and look for some examples that incorporate efficient ways to develop context in an appropriate time frame. <laughs> As we discussed previously, providing potential applications can make information more meaningful and help learners internalize it. So even though we might be presenting information very simply with a static screen or a screen with simple animation, we can design ways for the learner to apply what they just learned. But the important thing here is not that we're just asking them to recall information because recall isn't going to help them in real situations. And it's not necessarily going to help them apply it unless we force them to do so. So the application has to give them an opportunity to make connections between the information that was presented and the situation that they're being asked to evaluate. So in this instance, we presented information on what IoT involved, and now we're giving them specific descriptions of components and their functions, and asking learners to determine if that would be classified as IoT. Part of the success of interactions where learners can answer incorrectly is giving specific feedback so they know where they got it wrong. And I will say that I underused this at one point and definitely within the more recent years have become very, very dependent on giving learners specific feedback that explains not only that their answer was wrong, but why it was wrong and why the 
correct answer is correct because I think we learn a lot from failing. And once we know why we failed and it's very clear, we're more likely to make the right choice the next time. So using specific feedback is very, very effective. But now evaluating statements that you might hear on a regular basis, now we've got that application. Now we're making that connection to, oh, this is something I have experienced or something that seems very familiar to me and that builds connection. Now we're going to look at some examples of how you can provide learners with interactive opportunities to explore content in a way that provides context. So in this course about weatherization, learners clicked on icons that represented the associated content and were placed on locations of the house where the measures might be used. So you can see how words and pictures are combined to provide context. And also we're incorporating that spatial element of visualizing the house, um, visualizing where in the house this thing is happening or where it applies, and then reinforcing that with the graphic of what that thing is. So there's a lot going on visually, um, and all of that is very helpful to making those connections to where things are and how they connect. Because again, all about connections. And then you've got that image to reinforce. Um, there is this tendency, and I've run into it as well, to like an image and go, well, this is really cool, this is entertaining, it would be cool to, to pop it on this page, and it kind of connects. But it ends up doing a lot of damage because it distracts the learner from the content by looking at that image if it doesn't directly correlate to the content on the slide. So while it might seem helpful or at least entertaining, I do caution against that because I think images are really powerful and using ones that make a connection to your content are super powerful um, and you want to avoid you know, that detriment of kind of drawing away from the content or not making a strong connection. That's my two cents on that. Um, so in this click to reveal, we're using icons to represent content and then pairing the information with a relevant image. Super simple. Um, icons uh, to start off the concept are usually fun because now we're starting with kind of abstract and then when they click on it and reveal the text and the image, now we're strengthening that connection by you know, taking that abstract concept of an icon and building on, oh, okay, well, that icon represents this term and here's an actual image of it. So now I'm building my understanding of what it is and what it looks like and what it does. Okay, so those who know me well know that I never pass up an opportunity to talk about how much I love marker activities. So partly, um, I will say this is because I mostly design in Storyline and Storyline makes it really easy to add markers. Um, and so part of it is, so part of it is how easy it is to throw markers on a, a page to make an interaction. And the other is just how quick it is to design. Um, it's sort of this breath of fresh air when I'm trying to get through a project and I've cut, I stumble upon an, an area where a marker activity will work well. Excellent. I've just cut my design time down. Makes me very happy. So anyways, um, you literally need a single image and then you can throw as many markers as you need on there. And you can make those boxes as big or as small as you want. So if you've got a lot of content for one part of the graphic and you've got a little for other sections, you don't have to play that game of 
okay, how do I make a standard box display that is going to have room for all of this content and then not look ridiculous when there's only a couple sentences in it from the other sections. Again, you know, super important to give that specific feedback. And it also gave the chance to see what might happen if they chose incorrectly when it matters. So this was provided by an alternate ending button that showed a short video involving the police. So reinforcing that visual, throwing in some video in there to kind of give that specific feedback and connect to, hey, here's the real world connection of if you make the wrong choice in this situation. So another way this course attempted to include nuance was by presenting viewpoints in the language of their brothers. So I mentioned that, you know, there was an attention to language early on with this course, given the audience. And so in this uh, scenario, instead of clinical statements about drugs, uh, they heard statements typical of individuals their age. So by embracing the college atmosphere and framing this choose one wrong answer as an icebreaker, um, we're framing it as something that a student might experience on campus and therefore provide context uh, and also connect this information to the student's own experiences. And then, of course, provide specific feedback. Scenarios also fit well in courses targeted to improving sales or customer service. Um, again, soft skills, anything where you can involve dialogue, you can show responses, you can gauge responses, you can give multiple experiences of how that sale might go. Um, scenarios are gonna be great for that. So you can present a role-playing situation in which you um, present customers and you ask the learner to select the right response. And then in your feedback, you can reinforce why their selection was correct and how it supports their professional growth. Again, telling them why is also extremely helpful. When we talk about that motivation factor and thinking about how adults need to know why they're doing something and how it's going to help them, um, that's a big part of the motivation as well. And a lot of times we try to do this upfront in the course, here's why you need to know this, and that's very helpful. It provides context, it makes it relevant, it tells adult learners early on, hey, I'm not wasting your time. What you're going to learn is designed to help you, and this is how, and this is why it matters. Um, and then you can reinforce that again with scenarios. Look, here's how your response was good and how it's gonna help you, or here's why it was wrong and this isn't going to help you grow professionally, or how it might even negatively affect the business. Um, so you can give them that specific feedback and then prompt them to decide on what to do next in the interaction. It doesn't just have to be a single question. You could have a string of interactions and you can get, uh, you can keep it as simple or you can get as involved as you'd like with it. You can do a single scenario question where it's just kind of a knowledge check or you can make it more in depth and you know, if you really want to get into it, you can do branching where the right response is going to take them down one path and the wrong response is going to take them down another path. And then it can kind of just keep going. The goal with these scenarios is to recreate situations that have a high level of fidelity to what the learner will experience in the workplace to promote near transfer. So in this course, the learner had to determine the number of units that could be weatherized given the budget. And you can see that there's, um, you know, asking them to do some actual calculation here. Um, you could include a calculator and ask them to interact with that. That would make it a little bit more complicated. Um, but 
forcing the learner to apply the steps that they're being presented in a way that is going to mimic something they might do in the workplace. Um, in another interaction in a similar course, uh, the learner had to evaluate whether a client met particular criteria for weatherization. So they were given a sample client and asked to compare the data against state regulations. Again, we're giving them the actual state regulation and then asking them to make that evaluation, similar to something that they might have to do in the workplace. And so, as I said, providing help is very important and is very useful. So when activities are particularly challenging, like um, uh, some of the ones that we just saw where you've got statutes, you've got complicated material, you've got legal language that is somewhat confusing, you have very complicated policies that are very nuanced in how they're applied, um, I like to include an ask a colleague feature or ask an expert um, as an option. And usually I'll just put it as a button off to the side and kind of point it out in the directions. And the beauty of this is that it allows us the benefit of challenging our learners to struggle through cognitively complex tasks and also make sure that they don't get overwhelmed or frustrated. Um, I will always remember kind of starting out as an ID and um, having uh, someone tell me that you had to make someone make someone fail early on and they had to know from the get-go that they didn't know everything about the topic. So we liked, especially for adult learners, we like including challenges where we're not necessarily presenting every element of a policy, but instead saying, hey, here's a situation and we need you to apply it or evaluate it according to this policy. Um, you know, go ahead and take a stab at it. If you need help, here's a resource. And then that's a great place to put the entire policy so that they have to open it and they have to go through it. And you can add limitations if you are required to make sure that they read it, then you can make that a setting. They can't move on until they open that. But you don't have to present every bit of that information. And I find that that's very helpful, as I said, in certain situations. And it also builds that relevance because now I'm saying, hey, you know how on the job when you don't know the answer to a question, you either have to ask someone, which is a good habit to form if you are lost, or you have to know how to find the answer. So that's something that is helpful to build into the course because now we're saying use your resources, figure out how to use them appropriately and use them to solve this issue. So again, it reinforces the idea that sometimes you need to ask someone who knows and asking for help isn't necessarily a bad thing. And yeah, so see, Bar transfer works for a whole range of things, from the information itself to those skills that might not be so obvious, but are very helpful in the workplace. And that's all I have for you today. And that wraps up our editor's cut of this webinar session. Remember, if you liked what you heard here, you can just go to the episode notes below and click through to the full length video recording of this webinar session on our YouTube page. And until our next episode, Keep on rocking your learning.